नमस्ते एंड वेलकम टू अनदर एडिशन ऑफ द भारत वार्ता वीकली आई एम रोशन कार्यपा आई हैव विद मी अभिषेक पॉल एंड नीरव खनोद्रा टू रन यू थ्रू द न्यूज एंड इवेंट्स ऑफ द वीक दैट वाज एंड दिस वीक वील बी टॉकिंग अबाउट राहुल गांधीज डिस्कालीफिकेशन फ्रॉम द पार्लियामेंट चाइनीज प्रेजिडेंट शी जिनपिंग मीटिंग पुटिन इन मॉस्को दी अटैक ऑन द इंडियन एम्बेसी इन लंडन Hindenburg's latest report targeting Block which is Jack Dorsey's uh, firm that was previously called Square and the continuing banking crisis with Deutsche Bank uh, being the latest one to come under some pressure. Uh hey Nirav hey Abhishek how's your week so far? It's an eventful week in terms of news flow. It's every day there's something new but yeah otherwise it's the same. It's just raining in Singapore all the time. So that's you can say a bit good bit annoying but yeah Yeah the summers have officially started in Bangalore I mean it is kind of baking at this point of time but we have nothing to complain I suppose given how things are way up north or you know in places like Chennai and so on but anyway let's get started uh, with this week's uh, news Rahul Gandhi has been disqualified from parliament after being convicted in a defamation case and sentenced to 2 years in jail he was found guilty of defamation over comments he made relating to the surname Modi at a rally in 2019 The Congress party has described the court order as politically motivated and has accused Prime Minister Narendra Modi and the ruling Bharatiya Janata Party of targeting political opponents. Nirav, what do you make of this entire fracas, uh, you know? I mean, is is this uh, Congress trying to play victim? Okay, so couple of things. So if we can go through facts and these are like the verifiable facts that Rahul in 2019 just before the national election in a rally in Karnataka said Why are all thieves surnamed with have the share the surname Modi, right? Insinuating that all Modis are thieves. So he was referring to Nirav Modi, who's no relation to me, no relation to Prime Minister Modi, and also Lalit Modi of uh, who started the IPL and is like absconding. So both are uh, facing extradition based in the UK. Nirav Modi is the famous jeweler who defaulted on his uh, loans with Allahabad Bank. and punjab national bank this statement was taken to court by an another mla from gujarat from surat purnendu modi right he filed the case that this is defamatory to all people with surname modi right and modi is quite a common surname in gujarat and rajasthan uh, basically meaning grocer right so it's it's quite a common surname a lot of shopkeepers and the business community have it narendra modi is actually from one of the obcs who also have the surname uh, modi right who are running the oil mills like oil seeds so anyways so this was the thing this was put in court another court has uh, granted a two year sentence to rahul gandhi but this can be appealed in the higher court so probably not done yet uh, at least the story isn't over yet and these are all facts right this is a fact that rahul gandhi said this and a court has now what is the implication is in india if you are convicted for a crime 6 years after finishing a sentence uh, you cannot hold political office famously we know lalu yadav has gone to prison come out and uh, that's why he cannot contest elections still he's still in that like blackout period and uh, in 2013 actually manmohan singh wanted to pass an ordinance which would have removed this this kind of restriction on convicted um, people not being able to hold uh, parliamentary office uh, or legislature offices but rahul gandhi actually tore up that ordinance in public right and uh, probably at that time that was aimed to get rjd aligned with the congress 
that was also in 2013 a year before 2014 elections and maybe so this is like you see some kind of like things which happened 10 years ago come back to bite you now question is does a defamatory remark uh, kind of say that uh, does that should that deserve a two year sentence or no was the court appropriate is like debatable a lot of courts verdicts are debatable so i don't want to get into that but this is the situation and this is the quagmire that rahul gandhi and the congress party have gotten themselves into but in indian politics i don't think that going to jail is taken negatively right you've got people in the emergency indira gandhi put a lot of opposition people in jail including lk advani arun jetli and a lot of others murli manohar joshi uh, a lot of the whole janata dal people so nitish kumar lalu yadav etc everybody was right at some point in time so i think it is not taken very negatively in fact there can be like a huge sympathy wave so story isn't done yet also the other thing is that the passport will be impounded and while like the sentencing and actually going to prison might be later rahul gandhi may not be able to leave the country right and this is such a high profile person that uh, this can't really be hidden i don't know see we've got the national elections next year so what happens rahul gandhi used to be congress party chief he is no longer that he is a member of parliament from wayanad in kerala but given that there won't be any by elections because we are now about a year away from the next general election so i think they will just hold it along with the general elections there won't be a by election for that seat right now and maybe either sonia gandhi priyanka gandhi take over the remote control if like rahul gandhi sidelined for a bit we don't know and all of these things i feel like in times of chaos and times of all of these things you never know something can flip the public sympathy if they feel that uh, the bjp has been too heavy handed or the court's decision was biased of some sort uh, we don't know so i would just say like this story will unfold over a period of time uh, but also this thing is there that people should realize it was not narendra modi who filed the case it was another mr modi who happens to be a bjp mla but it was another mr modi who filed the case saying that you cannot extrapolate some criminal to everyone who shares like this common surname so it was said in a very bad light right that comment was made in very poor taste you may dislike one particular person but you don't want to kind of malign everyone who shares that surname right they need not be re- related to him so i think that's the whole lesson from this the political story is going to unfold over a period of time and to be fair you can't really say who comes out on top or who actually gains uh, votes because of this uh, let's wait and watch yeah he has apologized in court uh, for prior cases before but he hasn't apologized in this case uh, i think he knows the consequences very well as well uh, and it and he gets to further boost the whole democracy is dying in india sort of a narrative right in fact i mean i found it uh, slightly funny that yesterday this uh, us representative uh, from california ro kana had a tweet out asking the the prime minister to inter- to intervene in this regard right as though i mean he will do the same for let's say i mean if tomorrow trump is convicted and you know i i don't think any of these folks will ask uh, president biden to do something similar right exactly we don't expect jay shankar to tweet about their internal matters or we don't expect a particular bjp mla or mp you don't expect tejasvi surya to suddenly say hey uh, please joe biden forgive so and so right right <laughs> i'm just saying so i think it is not in good taste so it's like life comes at you in a full circle you don't know what happens 10 years later 
Uh, well, moving on, uh, last week, Chinese President Xi Jinping and his Russian counterpart, Vladimir Putin, met in Moscow. Uh, the two leaders signed an agreement to expand their economic ties during a bilateral meeting and spoke of deepening uh, their relationship as well. The joint statement issued after the meeting said the Indo-Pacific strategy has a negative impact on peace and stability. Uh, Abhishek, will we see this kind of a Cold War ramp up, you know, with the US talking about sanctioning and scrutinizing uh, more Chinese firms? Uh, and this this meeting, I think, is more than symbolic, you know, I mean, uh, there were a lot of memes and whatnot. But I think the 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 text and the content of their discussions itself was was fairly serious, right? Yes, definitely. So I would say this was yet another step in deepening of relationship between China and Russia, right? It's quite clear that China and Russia are the two, let's say, standout countries, right, who are in the axis against the West. And so the Ukraine conflict on one hand, or the economic or industrial kind of policies and sanctions that the US is trying to impose against China on the other hand, or let's take, let's say, the Taiwan conflict, right? So all these are all sort of things which are bringing uh, China and Russia closer and closer together, right? Uh, with the US, EU and others sort of trying to sanction Russia and curtail their trading possibilities, right? China has obviously emerged as the number one priority, but as well as savior for for the Russian economy, right? And so uh, we will continue to see more and more economic as well as uh, geostrategic cooperation between the two. One more thing which is interesting is that Xi Jinping is not only making China back Russia, but is also personally backing Vladimir Putin, right? Which was kind of quite evident if you see uh, the series of meetings and things like that in the last week. So yeah, I think we will continue to see more Sino-Russian cooperation over the uh, next few years. It leaves India in an interesting space, right, where on one hand, the Indo-Pacific reference which you made is probably, you know, an anti-quad sort of statement which uh, the Chinese side made or continues to make over the years, but also Uh, India is also one of those who is perceived to be close enough to uh, Russia, right? And is helping out, I'm saying helping out in courts, right? Where buying oil from Russia and things like that. Uh, One more thing which kind of got dismissed by the West and the Western media is, of course, that China also proposed to be the negotiator or have the enabler of peace talks between Russia and Ukraine, right? To end the conflict. But obviously, given the current status and scenarios, Ukraine and the West obviously dismissed it offhand. Russia, of course, uh, welcomed that peace proposal. So it'll be interesting to see over the next 6, 12, 18 months how this conflict eventually comes to an end and if China has some sort of uh, hand in it, right? Especially given their latest achievement in bringing the Saudis and the Iranians together, which we discussed a couple of weeks back. And I think President Xi Jinping's dialogue to Putin, right, as they stood outside to quote, uh, right now there are changes the likes of which we haven't seen for 100 years and we are the ones driving these changes together. I I think every sort of American geopolitical expert, etc. read into that in quite quite some significance uh, as well, right? Right. All right, Hindenburg Research has released a new report on Block, the financial services company that was previously called Square and that's co-founded by Jack Dorsey. Uh, The report claims that the company has overstated its use account and understated its customer acquisition costs. Block has vowed to take legal action against the report's misleading claims. Well, we're discussing this uh, for one reason and one reason alone, which was uh, uh, it is because, uh, you know, Hindenburg's uh, report on Adani came out a few months back, I should say. Right. And uh, there was a whole fracas around that. Nirav, what do you make of this? See, few things, which is true. Uh, a lot of the short sellers, right? What do they look at? Like companies which are 
probably too overvalued and have run their course and you know it's like a wily coyote moment where you run 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 fast off a cliff and now you're like running in air before you fall right so they try to look for those that is one two is you've seen the federal reserve tighten policy a lot and like kind of like all the easy money which was there you could borrow and lever lever up growth easily right that is kind of gone so this is what they do you've got like a lot of other famous short sellers carson block at like muddy waters is one which comes to mind so all of these guys going through like a phase shift so it's actually a good time to be like a short seller if you've done your work you've done your due diligence then second thing is which is like the debatable part that they write out come out with like very sensational claims so again like was it any overvalued yes it was overvalued it stocks came down but like the company is operating etc so to get more people to buy into their view they come out with like very sensational claims which may or may not be true or could be half truths or which kind of gets them attention right media attention and in this world where social media all of this is very popular so what are they saying they're saying that a lot of the users are not unique users or there are some fake accounts uh there are a lot of people who are using money laundering etc via the block or blocks cash app right a lot of their other growth is due to predatory lending or like buy now pay later uh services everything was forgiven right in the last 10 15 years and uh, maybe a lot of controls were forgiven and these uh, fintech firms uh, are like one new thing which has come up sprung up very fast and maybe they do not do the same anti money laundering and kyc procedures so yes uh i would assume that any company which grows very fast controls are sometimes like weaker uh, this industry also very new so controls are weaker uh is it probably overvalued yeah sure it is uh these guys do their homework they do some stuff and they come out making very brave statements right uh if anything i would say hindenburg has a lot of insight sitting in the us being able to actually speak to users of square or block or the cash app etc right or previous users of afterpay versus what they could do on adani on adani it is like somebody who sitting in india etc or somebody who's like fed them info some of it may be true some of may not be the other person's bias is also maybe there right i think we will see what story comes out of it or uh, they've put out a whole report right and uh, i think what is happening is we are going through like a turning cycle from like a whole bull market easy money cycle to like a tighter money cycle so a few of the weaker dominoes will fall like companies which are overvalued will self correct so this kind of just uh, puts in action for india what we need to see right and coming back uh, regulators need to start thinking about the upi infrastructure is connected to the banks and that is great right that's totally but all the other payment apps paytm or whichever other phone pay etc etc right gpay do they have some loopholes can they be used for criminal activity is there if somebody who's like invested in these companies thinking oh this will skyrocket and are they are uh, for listed companies especially so like say paytm has been listed are their accounts and annual reports stating actual things right you cannot falsify your earnings or usernames so i think those things the regulators need to see that uh, are all of these companies running and not facilitating any criminal activities so yeah 
Yeah, I think this is uh, a useful reminder to fintechs, right, uh, which is not to operate in any regulatory ambiguity because a lot of these folks, I mean, do take advantage of the gray area sometimes. Yeah, we put out this episode on fintech uh, 2.0 with Monica Jasuja and uh, Mandar Kagade and Sumita Kale some time back. Uh, do check out that episode. It's fairly comprehensive and presents the Indian point of view, both from a policy and an innovation perspective. All right, last week, the Indian High Commission in London suffered an attack by Khalistani sympathizers. The tricolor flag atop the, the embassy was grabbed by the mob and replaced with a Khalistani flag. India has decided to review the security of UK diplomats uh, in the country in response to the lack of adequate security measures at the Indian mission in London. Uh, MEA spokesperson Arindam Bakshi said, We are not interested in just assurances. I think we would like to see action. Abhishek, this was uh, really shocking to see, right? And it's been ramping up for a period of time. I mean, we've spoken uh, uh, about this whole thing on the weekly itself, I think more than three or four times over the last couple of months. What do you see happening? The trigger for this was, of course, the attempt to arrest radical Khalistani leader or whatever, uh, Amrit Pal Singh, right? That chase is still going on. He seems to have escaped out of Punjab and is in uh, some other states right now. But yeah, I think that was the trigger for uh, various... uh, protests outside Indian embassies in various locations. Uh, So there was this act of vandalism in London. There was also a somewhat similar incident in San Francisco. So just to give a personal anecdote, a few years back, I was sort of trying to do a a city tour of San Francisco. And uh, on one of these buses, I was caught up in a big Khalistani demonstration, like which was like, there were thousands and thousands of them, which kind of opened my mind, right? When I had no idea of such kind of activities going around outside India, right? We thought yeah. the Khalistani bogey was dead and buried in the late 80s and early 90s, right? So, yeah, it was kind of eye-opener for me. And then since then, of course, we now know that uh, uh, the UK, uh, the US and Canada have a lot of sick population, which is very sympathetic towards the idea of Khalistan and then a smaller subsection, which is kind of actively working towards it, right? Whether it is in terms of uh, monetary support or uh, trying to get political support via activism, etc. Right. So you would have seen MPs, MLAs or senators and house representatives uh, in from various countries, right? All, all three of these countries who have kind of spoken up in alarm of internet being shut down or uh, human rights violations, etc, etc. In Punjab, right? Like, uh, if you read their accounts, or if you read foreign media, you would think that something massive is happening in Punjab, right? Uh, large scale crackdown of sick population is what they're calling it, right? So uh, when it's in fact, basically trying to uh, arrest a criminal, you know, because uh, the police did find uh, large scale ammunitions and weapons, etc. in his house, right? So one of the actions which India took in the last week was to remove all sort of visible security barriers from outside the British embassy in New Delhi, right? So this is kind of similar to the action taken in 2013, right? When the whole Devyani Khobragade case happened, right? Where something similar was done outside the US embassy. So these actions are kind of taken to sort of send a strong message, right? That you're unhappy with the other country, right? So in the meanwhile, I think in UK, they arrested one of the, uh, let's say, leaders of this uh, whole Khalistani situation in UK, right? Uh, But that's all the action that has been taken. I think it's kind of sad that if this Khalistani issue kind of becomes a bone of contention between the relations of India and UK, right, where there is a lot of potential for, let's say, trade or economic ties, etc. There has been a lot of talk of a free trade agreement being worked upon and so on, right. And so if 
uh, something like the Khalistani situation comes in in between this, it, it will be quite unfortunate. Now, why the UK government is not stri- more stricter on this is hard to say. I mean, there could be various things, right? Like, for example, I don't know how the whole police system, etc. works there, right? But let's say the London police might be under the Labour administration, right? Or because the city is ruled by a Labour mayor, right? Who also happens to be of Pakistani descent, right? So it's hard to say uh, in terms of what are the various uh, factors of local or national politics in the UK or let's say Canada, which are at play here, which prevents these um, countries from taking a more stricter stand against all this uh, Khalistani politics. But something to wait and watch. I don't think India has any interest in taking any softer stand here, right? I mean, we. I hope we would have learned our lessons from, I think, uh, the, uh, let's say, the 80s and 90s, right? And we need to nip this in the bud, right? And so I hope uh, uh, this Amritpal Singh is sort of arrested soon and brought to, uh, you know, the courts uh, for appropriate, uh, you know, trials and convictions, etc. But on the diplomatic front as well, I don't think India is not going to let this disrespect or callousness from these host countries also get overlooked, right? This whole Khalistani thing, I think they're just ratcheting up, uh, you know, building up to this whole Anandpur Sahib resolution. I think they want uh, some sort of that, uh, which which is basically successionist, right? I mean, which would grant the state like a quasi-status, independent status, and leave only foreign relations or defense and uh, currency and so on and so forth with the central government, basically. So, yeah, I mean, I think definitely it has to be viewed in all seriousness and uh, dealt with swiftly. I think like the Khalistani whole thing is probably funded from our neighbor in the West. And see, the thing is, a lot of that is like, uh, you've got the whole map of Khalistan doesn't put any part of Pakistan at all, where like bulk of their things or where their main uh, holy sites were there. So I think this is something that needs to be taken care of. And after like Article 370 being scrapped, etc. I think in India, there's no room to have like separate laws or semi-cessationist things to be tolerated. I think unity in diversity and like strength in unity is what India should aim for. Absolutely. The banking crisis uh, continues. Deutsche Bank is the latest in a series of banks to come under stress. The bank's uh, share prices fell 15 to 20% over the past week. Although the details are different in each case, the underlying problems for most of these banks are the rising interest rates. Nirav, this is such a quagmire, right? I mean, politically, there's a lot of pressure not to raise these interest rates. But at the same time, if you don't raise these interest rates, then it's just kicking the can forward, prolonging this sort of a recessionary environment with the rising in, you so know, inflation, uh, inflation yeah. and so on. So, yeah. see, basically, you know, you had like a nice Goldilocks period for 15 years after 2008 to 2023 or end of 2022 where you had like interest rates which are very low inflation was not going up so you could print any amount of money and you thought that we are in a new era like now all these things don't matter or old rules don't apply anymore this modern monetary theory i can keep spending money i can keep printing so i borrow money to even if my tax revenue doesn't go up i can borrow and spend and this borrowing i can print money to buy back my own debt and then even if different departments in the government are doing it it's all fine and now inflation has reared up a storm and it's like everywhere UK inflation was like uh, 10.4% uh, in USA in Europe everywhere inflation is high so now they're rising raising interest rates but the problem is that it's a blunt tool you are 
you had like very expansionary fiscal policy. You spent a lot of money. A lot of banks were thinking, okay, fine, I lend money to like riskier businesses. Each place there was something different. Each place there was something else, which was an issue. But right now, the Fed is doing enough to do there. The GSIB, which has not failed but has been acquired, is Credit Suisse. But some of its eighty-one bonds have been wiped out. That is also like a legally grey area. because under the acquisition terms the capital ratio never really fell below the trigger level and now this probably goes to courts and we'll see it play out and db does not have the problem of concentrated deposits it's probably globally spread out too much maybe people think it's one of the weaker links uh, european banks have this uh, european and asian banks have this feature where uh, they could instead of issuing share capital they could issue preferred share like 81 capital which kind of pays an interest coupon but can be wiped out in terms of stress so is that the next shoe to drop uh, we don't know probably the regulators are trying to see and salvage uh, a little bit is you would say it is a liquidity crisis and not a solvency crisis for the system on the whole so in 2008 it was a solvency crisis for the system on the whole because there were a lot of debt defaults by like people bought houses which were overvalued and they could not afford to service them uh right now what has happened is money is flowing out from the weaker ones to the stronger ones so system as a whole there is enough liquidity system as a whole is solvent but the mark to market losses have gone because of higher interest rates on government securities but people who did not price duration risk well and that is the regional banks in the us but if you see as a whole the system is still solvent right Uh, i would say similar is the case in europe or asia for india we've had all of this we we've, we've seen this movie before so actually like this time it feels you know emerging markets have been leaders uh, having facing small small crisis earlier as well uh, whereas all these guys have been sailing in you know plain waters in very like uh, calm waters and now slight storm is kind of like making them panic we had island fs go down we had punjab maharashtra cooperative bank go down we had an nbfc dhfl the housing finance company go down so we've had all of these and i would say the magnitude is the same wherever there's a localized problem that can be probably if it can be sorted out by liquidity maybe extra lending lines etc from the central bank and solve the problem in the short run and if it is actual solvency then people need to think because all of these are like uh, if you would say over the last 10 15 years there's been better regulation there has been better uh, uh monitoring so it's not kind of spread systemically like what lehman uh, happened right so uh, you have, you have like better regulations better margining on derivative contracts etc so it's not spreading out and not everybody's thinking oh my god if one goes it's not a house of cards which can fall and like everybody's so intertwined in like a spider's web you know so things are a lot better so uh i think yes what has happened is you you basically first accelerated too hard during covid printed a lot of money and now you're breaking very hard and that causes a car to skid so you're seeing some of these hopefully the damage is controlled everywhere maybe share price drops somewhere or uh things kind of realign but if the business is stay employees stay and you all live to fight another day uh then that is the best for the whole ecosystem right and obviously there are learnings to be had from this and uh, uh, maybe we'll all uh, move ahead and uh, tweak kind of all our expectations that uh, you know we learn to live with this kind of volatility but 
I believe we are not going back to the zero or negative interest rate world what we were earlier in the last decade. Rates will move a lot more. So we will see higher rates and higher volatility of rates. So rates will move up and down a little bit more. So after this, maybe we'll see rate cuts soon. But again, then inflation won't come off and then we'll see rate hikes again. But yeah, so we won't have that long calm period. And uh, usually seeds of the next crisis are sown in the bull market of the previous cycle, right? So uh, this is what is coming to roost. Hopefully it's not sorted. And India saw this in 2018. So I think uh, maybe India should be insulated. Yeah. And also, I think in India, uh, the banks have a higher portion of their deposits uh, as household savings, right? I mean, so it's people like you and me. So I think we won't have an SVB type of a risk uh, anytime soon. And finally, Prime Minister Modi is in Karnataka to inaugurate a few infrastructure projects. Mr. Modi inaugurated a 13.7 kilometer metro line in Bangalore today. Uh, from Whitefield to Krishna Rajpuram. He also inaugurated Sri Madhusudan Sai Institute of uh, Medical Sciences and Research in Chikbalapur. Abhishek, election season is around the corner and uh, so too is the Prime Minister's visits. And typically, uh, you know, as always, accompanied by uh, all of these infrastructure developments, inaugurations and all of that, right? Yeah, I mean, I was thinking of going towards Whitefield today, but then I realized I'll probably not make it back for the podcast. So I, I Good call. postponed <laughs> it to tomorrow. But yeah, yeah, I think uh, this metro line has obviously been long awaited. And of course, the entire city is still caught up in the metro construction. But every time a new line is opened, at least uh, that kind of opens up also the roads, right? So it's like a double benefit every time a piece of the whole puzzle is completed. So yeah, quite happy about uh, this one. Uh, and yeah, of course, I think we should see the election announcement with the dates, etc. from the election commission any any day now, right? Uh, and uh, of course, we should have uh, one uh, election preview episode with uh, RJ and a few others also. Hopefully Absolutely. Soon. Yeah. So that's an episode that uh, hopefully we will record soon enough. Uh, speaking of, we have a couple of very good episodes uh, coming up. There was this uh, episode with Abhijit Chawda, who is an expert on you know, history, geopolitics and so on, uh, science as well. Uh, right? He had a freewheeling conversation with Velina Chakarova in the Velina Stock series. Uh, we'll be publishing that episode uh, this week. And also, uh, as I earlier mentioned, we have an episode on Sanskrit and its significance today with uh, Rishi Rajpopat. Uh, he is a Sanskrit scholar from Cambridge. Uh, he's in conversation with Amrit. So yeah, a couple of very interesting podcasts lined up. Don't forget to tune in. Uh, and if you made it this far and you're liking the content, uh, don't forget also to rate and review us, uh, follow us, sub- subscribe to us, uh, all of the good stuff uh, so more people can discover us. Thank you so much uh, for joining us uh, this weekend. From Abhishek, Niravan, myself, do take care, stay safe and see you next week. Jai Hind.